Welcome to Podcast on Fire on Wolf Warrior 2. And it's the biggest movie out of China of all time. And yet it's so familiar to anyone who watched a big bombastic action movie from the 80s or 90s, in particular out of Hollywood. But who says you can't adhere to that formula, the movie language of it, and the tropes in 2017? My name is Kenneby and I'm here to solo chat with you, to solo review about the film starring and directed by Wu Jing. And uh, up front I want to thank Mike at the Warrior Agency and Cinesia for providing the screener for review. And Wolf Warrior 2 is out now on DVD, limited and regular edition Blu-ray in the UK. But to make the show a little varied, I'll throw in, throw in some extra nuggets out of my viewing habits lately that may not warrant a full review, but it's just uh, fun to share, you know. And uh, whatever comes to mind, I'll uh, throw in or whatever. So, uh, But uh, first of all, some brief contact information, and this is Podcast on Fire. Um, Kenny B out of the solo pod cave if you will and we're located on podcastonfire.com the entire network of shows so if you're into hong kong cinema in this case we're talking mainland cinema though with some hong kong tech talent uh, i'd say but if you're into that listen to this show podcast on fire we have shows on japanese cinema korean cinema we do shows on sleazy cinema out of hong kong and taiwan we have done an entire run of episodes on those uh, godfrey ho richard harrison ninja movies so that's all present on podcastonfire.com, so make your choice over there. And if you are a first-time listener, well, hope you enjoy the solo chat. Normally, I'm here with um, with people, but uh, this time I'm uh, this time I'm not. Uh, but uh, regardless, thank you very, very much for listening and taking a chance on us. And if you have any questions or feedbacks, if you want to share what you thought of Wolf Warrior Two, what you think of Wu Jing, what you thought of the first one, first movie that I haven't seen. Let us know. Podcast on fire at googlemail.com is the email. If you click the handy Facebook button at the top of our website, you'll get to our Facebook page and uh, from there you can choose to enter the Podcast on Fire network group. Uh, we're a friendly bunch. We post network updates and have discussions over there. So uh, let us know and uh, don't be shy. Uh, if you want to follow us on Twitter, you can click the Twitter button. Subscribe to us on iTunes by clicking that very button. And if you have any uh, feedback, uh, good or bad, a little review in you, please do submit one to iTunes. That would, would be very, very much appreciated. And finally, stream us on Stitcher Radio, either on their website or their application available on the Apple App Store or Google Play. And if you didn't know, I write about a variety of uh, Hong Kong and Taiwanese uh, genre movies over at SoGoodReviews.com. I mix... Uh, Category 3 rated adult movies, these cut and paste Godfrey Ho movies, and some good stuff out of Taiwan. I try to find some zany stuff, but uh, also movies that are located in and around late 70s, early 80s era, because that era fascinates me more. We're talking more than just Kung Fu here. We're talking social realist movies, so to say. And... Um, the emergence of special effects in Taiwan was and is still a, a passion project from, of mine because these mostly children's friendly movies, they are 
wonderful to look at. Technically, they're a lot of fun. There's a certain Taiwanese energy that's very unique too. Taiwan that I certainly enjoy and I'm not just talking about the face pacing here people so I'll uh, review that and uh, some more over at sogoodreviews.com my video hub is lisakvideo.com and my twitter handle is at sogoodreviews so before we get into the main review I, I just threw in some very very minor quick take uh, reviews of stuff I watched uh, just this week stuff i watched um, a little while back but it sort of fits into the discussion of wolf warrior 2 in a very very tiny way but uh, first of all i wanted to mention a few brief things about the movie victory now this is a category one rated hong kong movie from 1994 perfectly friendly and pleasant sports movie but it's directed by andy chin the director of changing partner call girl 92 love among the triad and i have some words on andy at the end of this brief review but victory takes the themes of the sports movie you know in this case volleyball not particularly special but it deserves kudos for maintaining a focus on delivering the familiar essentials and it reaches pleasant levels in the process by doing so and while there's no huge investment in those uh, characters, the whole package is put together with care, because not only is it shot in sync sound, live voices on the soundtrack, man, and mixed in Dolby Surround, which was a rarity in 1994 Hong Kong cinema. I mean, The Bride with White Hair had done it, but that was still a rare case. And so to have Dolby and sync sound was a rare professional combo. But um, not only is it done using those two aspects, uh, Andy Chin crafts uh, quite good impact during the volleyball scenes uh, with uh, director cinematographer, director of photography, uh, Poon Han Sang. Uh, he provides um, fine and creative camera work uh, during those scenes, uh, including essentially we, we get a volleyball cam during select moments, which uh, is like a simple rig, but looks pretty good. And uh, we also have likable performers, uh, that gets us a long way mainly commonly as one of the volleyball players uh, and a suitably dorky Derek Yee provides a fitting turn and uh, that is indeed the director former Shaw Brothers actor Derek Yee providing a leading man turn here in 1994 well into his directing career and uh, he looks uh, comfortable and uh, he's a substitute teacher that likes uh, insects more than anything but he becomes their volleyball teacher because he has the ability to absorb knowledge and can craft uh, instincts and so forth uh, doing that so as for the director uh, and the chin that i mentioned i haven't seen any interviews obviously i've not spoken to mr chin in any way but based on the evidence in cinema here there was clearly someone uh, into amping uh, professionalism in uh, hong kong cinema by mainly employing sync sound on on a number of occasions more than any other director especially working in the 80s and 90s i can think of uh, and uh, looking at hong kong movie database and trying to remember which one was sync sound a whole bunch of them was uh, the uh, dodo chen comedy gift from heaven from 1989 was uh, to catch a thief also with dodo chang was jiggle and ho 2 wasn't but then he was back uh, shooting sync sound for Changing Partner, Call Girl 92, Love Among the Triad, Victory, Why Wild Girls, one of Ikin Cheng's earlier movies. And uh, he isn't directing anymore. He was listed as co-director, I believe, on the Donnie Yen movie Painted Skin, but I haven't seen that 
yet but uh, he's a he has a, a variety of movies on his uh, filmography and not just urban comedies uh, urban genre pieces involving triads or call girls or what have you because he also did the uh, new wave that uh, sort of play Wusha Pian movie the, the Dragon Chronicles the Maidens uh, but that is a different title what uh, was a DVD title the Dragon Chronicle Chronicles the Maidens of Heavenly Mountains one of those impossible to follow Usha Pians, but uh, hey, it's all creative and fun and noisy. And Bridget Ling, Gong Li, Charlotte Chung makes it all worth it. Um, probably a movie that needs a retranslation because I believe the cinema top title, subtitles were not particularly good. But um, you know, he made good professional, pleasant movies, uh, peaking fairly well with a few. Because believe me, that aspect of you know, being surprised by the fact that, oh my god, it's a sync sound movie. Because if you go into a random movie like Call Girl 92 and uh, Sandra M. Anthony Chan comedy Changing Partner, all uh, done in 1992, you don't expect it to be live all of a sudden. And there, and there we have it. It was. So I just have to imagine that Andy was someone that uh, just w- wanted to push for this um, professionalism more than... Some directors did, and uh, most cases uh, he got that uh, he got that through, and um, so it's worth keeping an eye out on that filmography for uh, for that reason alone. But as for the uh, sort of connection to Wolf Warrior Two, I, I I guess <laughs> oh, it's, I, I'm not clever, and it's such a mild connection, but in a way it puts things in perspective because when you think of the mainland Chinese movie now, it's you know, at least in part, a very commercialized landscape. They're certainly making bigger movies than they did at the end of the 90s. Because mainland Chinese cinema got um, notices for directors like uh, Shang Kai-jie, Farewell My Concubine, and certainly Shang Yimou with his movies going back, to, going back to Red Sorghum, but obviously Race the Red Lantern, To Live, and uh, most people know him when he turned to big spectacle movies, whether Hero, House of Lion Daggers, but I always had an eye towards Zhang Yimou's uh, smaller movies, uh, more rural, straight movies, uh, so to say. And uh, that's why it was quite a delight to uh, rewatch The Road Home from 1999, because, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, but uh, I'm not seeing a movie like, uh, a small movie like The Road Home take center stage in today's mainland Chinese cinema. So it's it's a nice throwback to 19 years ago when The Road Home uh, came out. And it's a deceptively small little movie, but with a huge beating heart and simplicity within that just makes you jealous and you want to be this good of a filmmaker. But you're not. <laughs> and I'm not. <laughs> you, you're not, you're not uh, Zhang Jimou. Uh, but uh, the plot in a nutshell, uh, the character of uh, Liu Yu Cheng, played by Sun Hong Lei, returns to his home village after his father has passed away. And his uh, grieving uh, mother requests her husband to be carried home so he'll never forget his way. And that superstition presents its share of logistical problems, but in flashback uh, we see how love blossomed and what the road to and from the village meant village meant for Zhao Di played by in in young form by Zhang Ziyi in her feature debut and what a what a debut it is. It is a story told from the past and one that it said that the entire village know by heart as well. So Zhang Yimou unashamedly makes the road home 
a sugary, sweet, fairy tale romance. In a good way. It's not too much. It's not too sugary. It goes from scope photography in black and white to then when the flashback enters to stunning color in scope. And all of those colors will um, cover the seasons. Uh, the seasons at their peak. Um, so, uh, you know, he got, he's got winter and spring and summer and um, autumn at their peak, which makes this frame uh, pop really well. He indeed avoids the cloying and sapping. Uh, it's something he's so capable of um, avoiding, just making this straight but affecting nonetheless. And it's adorable to see uh, young love uh, being born through, uh, you know, curious looks and smiles with uh, the camera in particular, catching Shang Ziyi's eyes, uh, the, the awe in her eyes of uh, watching the new teacher arriving. And uh, uh, when they build the school, uh, the women of the village, they put out the food for the, the workers and so forth and she's uh, looking to make sure the teacher picks her dish and that awe in her eyes and that hope in her uh, mind and body and soul that's that's rather sweet you know it's a genuine feel that runs through the road home and it's heightened visuals doesn't uh, you know kill that off or anything um it has its share of heartbreak, of course, um, but um, it, it is told in brisk fashion that uh, still maintains and uh, you know clinches that meaningful nature of falling head over heels for someone for life. He is stylish, although not super technical with advanced camera moves or anything. But he does score huge points when he takes down scenes to the bare essence of just um, having static shots and long takes of dialogue to carry scenes and that is still an equally mesmerizing and confident choice so this is a, this is the guy that dazzled you with visuals in hero and, and house in house of fly, flying daggers and yet we have a movie like the road home to confirm that uh, if anything he seems more comfortable doing this if i'm being honest and i always liked Zhang Yimou's movies better this way even though i enjoyed some of his visual swordplay spectacle to a decent degree but this, not one less, uh, Riding Alone for Thousands of Miles, the movie he did with uh, Ken Takakura, it is still my favorite uh, version, if you will, of Shang Yimou. So that was the little, what was mainland China cinema like? Well, it, it's still like it was like this, and you can still experience it because the road home is widely available. You can get it on iTunes and so forth, and uh, on uh, Columbia TriStar DVD because they picked up the worldwide rights. It seemed like, but then you cut to Wolf Warrior Two, and um, again mainland China cinema. It's more genre, if I'm being simplified about it, possibly ignorant about it. And drama doesn't uh, pop as much. But that doesn't have to be a bad thing, obviously, as long as you execute your genre well. And for Wolf Warrior 2, how does uh, 
Wu Jing fair as actor and director, and uh, we'll get to it very shortly. But first of all, plot courtesy of Sinasia, China's deadliest special forces operative known as the Wolf Warrior, played by Wu Jing, is lying low. But when he crosses paths with a ruthless band of mercenaries led by a volatile and sadistic leader, played by Frank Grillo of Fair. Uh, well, he's been in the, the Purge movies, apparently. Not seen. He is in Captain America Civil War, where he plays Brock Rumlow slash Crossbones. And the reason I'm stumbling on that, because I have no idea what that role is and how big it is. But he is a working actor, and uh, he got cast in this one. But uh, he plays that sadistic leader. And uh, Wu Jing, the wolf warrior, must uh, reaffirm his duty as a soldier and put an end to the gang's reign of terror. And this is mostly set in uh, Africa. So it's not even on the mainland. So as for my short opinion of the movie, uh, Wu Jing made the action movie you already experienced in the 80s and 90s. But that's okay, because he does it well. He seems to embrace the tropes of it, uh, the big bombastic action movie. Including making hollow drama, because there's no real place for drama. You just have to inject some. Uh, but, But no one is aiming for it to be poignant or anything. But technically... It's up there, uh, he he gets the edge of your seat, uh, pulse-pounding aura of it all quite right. There There is some wonky stuff within the technical aspects of it all, uh, without a doubt, that did, did take me out of it. But it's more indicative of modern filmmaker rather than Wu Jing pursuing a vision that was his own. And uh, So I, I can't say it's Wu Jing's fault or anything. Uh, to give you a clue, it's about the computer-generated blood. There's quite a lot of it here. But we'll, we'll get to it. Uh, I typed down some minor background. I mean, this is no news to anyone. It's probably not very well researched either. But, but to put it mildly, this was a major box office hit in China and internationally as well. With the patriotic aspect and action sequences managing to merge and play well to a global audience as well. You know, hence the um, international exposure and success. And while it did not compete with other international movies at the box office when it was released, uh, due to that summer slot it was released in, it nonetheless did massive business and became the highest grossing film in China after just 12 days of release. And it passed Stephen Chow's comedy The Mermaid in those 12 days who'd held that top spot previously. It's, the return business is quite good. I mean, this was a movie that was budgeted at a little over 30 million US dollars and now it has earned and probably that number is counting upwards still has earned over 874 million US dollars uh, worldwide. As for the patriotism of it all within the movie the nationalistic tint to Wolf Warrior 2 I'm, I'm not at all the smartest person to address this as I have no real intimate knowledge of politics and messages being injected connecting to mainland China and sometimes I don't even keep track of what filmmakers needs to, need to do when making mainland Chinese movies in order to please censors. Obviously a big thing is crime doesn't pay. It's a major aspect uh, and probably heroics and good characteristics uh, displayed in cops and military needs to be there to, to a certain degree. Not too 100% sure about that. But the point is also we, we've seen flag waving throughout the decades in global cinema. But to me, again, I'm probably the, mo- the most naive and ignorant person you've ever listened to in the podcasting sphere ever. But unless it's blatant evil 
nationalistic and patriotic message. It's usually good if it delivers genre spectacle. It it goes down pretty well. I don't uh, sit there and flinch or anything. Now, I'm not saying detractors of this aspect of Wolf Warrior 2 are wrong. But uh, for, for me to feel uncomfortable by the patriotism at hand, it needs to sort of smack me more in the face and be right there on the surface to have a chance to, one, be understood, two, then I'll make my decision where I think this is uh, too much or fine. You know, it's it's a genre movie, it's an action movie. There is one brief bit injected towards the end involving a passport that is curiously obligatory in feel. That seems to overstate matters because um, the movie has been pretty open with, uh, you know, the counter it's siding with, if you will. And that passport shot seemed to overstate matters. But uh, who knows if that was there originally or if, or if it needed to be there. But again, listen to those more educated on the subject of patriotism in mainland Chinese cinema, whether it's a positive or negative thing. I, I just. Um, uh, you know, for me, I try to I try to be more educated, and I try to absorb by listening to those voices um, because they 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 are talking more in a more nuanced way about patriotism, what is there, what isn't there, uh, and coming from a perspective where whether a reaction to the movie is positive or negative based on how much is in there and if it's disturbing <laughs> and a disturbing amount. Well, being Wolf Warrior Two, you can recognize it, but you've you know, you're connected to what you've experienced, hopefully, in your life um, in the 80s and 90s watching American-made uh, Hollywood blockbusters. Um, so someone might need to help me out here. But I, I remember watching, in particular towards the end of Wolf Warrior 2. I won't spoil it, though. But um, the, I was reminded of another movie I saw when I was growing up. It starred one of the Dylan brothers. Uh, Kevin, possibly. Him and his friends, they were fairly young in the movie, you know, teenagers uh, or 18-year-olds or something. And their fathers, possibly military fathers, were kidnapped. And they needed to stage a uh, rescue operation. And uh, and they did. It was might have been called something hostage, who knows. But uh, I think that's the movie that ends with them. They're on a plane, flying home, and uh, they're intercepted by by a, a American aircraft to um, think they're flying in, in an enemy plane. So they, they can't communicate by radio probably. So what does one of the guys do? He uh, sticks his head out uh, the plane window or something or uh, just uh, shows himself in the window and opens up his uh, shirt and he has a t-shirt on that is probably the cover of Bruce Springsteen's Born in the USA. And then they realize, ah! They're Americans. <laughs> and there's elements to that in Wolf Warrior 2 that reminded me of that image. And, you know, you can't take that seriously. And it's sort of made for fun. Audience-friendly fun, rather than being a political recruiting video or anything. So I just don't want to throw that out there. Um, uh, Hong Kong film fans, of course... Um, so filmmakers trying to break the physically gifted Wu Jing in the late 90s and early millennium in Tai Chi 2, Legend of Zoo, Drunken Monkey. But it was really impact time for Wong Jing by the time SPL came out in um, 2005. So he, he was that, uh, I, I only saw it once, but I really did, did like it. He was that slicing and dicing assassin uh, that uh, squared off against uh, Donnie Yen. And although I'm 
not too sure subsequent projects were taken to or- like like audiences did taking take him to heart as such uh, movies like Fatal Contact. I don't think it wasn't as big anyway. And he even had international exposure in The Mummy, a Tomb of the Dragon Emperor. You know that didn't make him take off, but he started to craft his own film filmmaking path with 2008's Legendary Assassin, co-directing with former Jack Chan stunt team member Nikki Lee and then in 2015 he directed the first Wolf Warrior that earned about 90 million US dollars in China. It featured appearances by internationally acclaimed action actors such as Scott Atkins but then Wolf Warrior 2 changed it all critically and financially and the third one is expectedly announced. So let's get into some specifics of Wolf Warrior 2 and um you always get a chuckle out of the fact that, in particular on mainland movies, I think, you, you always have so many production entities and investors, uh, it seems, galore. So there's always this logo showcase you see, you know, this production company. And then you expect the movie to start. And then you see six or seven more little animated logos. And you wonder with so many cooks in the kitchen, can any of this be coherent? Uh, but uh, it certainly is. It's just a minor fun thing. From the get-go, when the pirates attack the big cargo ship, uh, there's your hero, hero Wong Jing, uh, Wong Jing, <laughs> Wu Jing, jumping into action with style, with no hesitation, and they goes underwater to have a big fight with um, these pirates. And it's so risky to go underwater as first strike showed, in my opinion. It uh, becomes uh, sluggish, but uh, it's a short sequence. Uh, Wu Jing makes it work with uh, clarity, uh, and uh, even as conceptualized, there's some kicking underneath there. He ties people up, and he also is this invincible hero, it seems like, with an infinite supply of air, and he doesn't break a sweat, and it looks stylish in coming out of the water. And it's like a pre-credit adventure. It has to do with the plot, but uh, it really is uh, supposed to get the mood settled, and it certainly works uh, fine. I haven't seen the first movie, but you, you certainly, you're caught up. It seems like it's the continued adventure of this soldier. He's experienced some ache in the past. There's possibly some flashbacks here that are, it's from the movie, first movie originally. But I can't say that for sure. But the point is, really briefly, that it doesn't seem requisite to have watched the first um, the first one. But uh, because structurally, Wu Jing sets everything up and he makes us catch up and uh, we're into this adventure even without the first movie he is also a character that stands up for the little man or woman uh, the soldiers bring home uh, the ashes of a fallen soldier and he breaks uh, code by uh, by punching um, a an authority figure in the village that they have arrived at so he's put in jail and stuff like that so his morals and ethics they're high and that's certainly bombastic and a big trope but uh, it is its own sort of 2017 competence. It's not desperately trying to mimic a Bruckheimer movie or anything like that. And and I'm sure when Woodring goes to Africa in a movie and bringing aid to Africa, that, that, that can make audiences smirk or snicker or even criticize the movie because it it's, uh, it's China aiding Africa and whatever. But uh, you would still have the same plotting in an American movie from a decade or two ago. So it's not... It's not on-screen indoctrination or anything uh, uh, like a manual for how massively great China is. It's not made that way. It's made as a 80s, 90s sort of Bruckheimer movie, orally and visually. And um, 
that's what he focuses uh, on. And of course, the character has uh, some cracks in him uh, mentally. Uh, he, uh, in flashbacks, we see there was a um, relationship that you know had the problem of marriage versus duty as a as a soldier that couldn't um, that couldn't sink up and he feels unfulfilled as a man and there's tragedy in his heart and uh, having experienced that so that's not particularly poignant at all it's sort of the, the kind of empty and usual genre drama that we get that will act as a springboard within the kick-ass spectacle and that can that get a passing grade? I think it sure can. If you deal with it correctly, even in 2017, you certainly can. And uh, although Wu Jing isn't a great actor, he's, he's got an ish, enough of an unassured screen presence, uh, especially now that he's a little bit older, to carry this off and um, to lead us. And uh, speaking of Bruckheimer, by the way, I think someone saw Top Gun and uh, Topless um, Volleyball scene. Is it Volleyball? Yeah, Volleyball. In Top Gun and uh, with uh, beefcakes galore and uh, slow motion and high fives uh, in slow motion. So uh, someone saw that probably. And, and it, it's kind of fun. And then action and violence even within that scene can come right out of nowhere. And uh, he executes that notion of, okay, now you have to increase the pulse of the movie and pace of the movie and have an effect by doing so and it is a rather violent movie there's a lot of innocence you know executed galore and obviously wujing taking out all the bad guys and things like that that's okay and good enough good enough and the two hours sort of pass by in each and every one of those scenes employing that but within many of those scenes what he's also employing is a lot of computer generated blood problem here is that there's quite a lot of gunplay. This is not a movie with uh, fight action as its uh, focus. And unfortunately, it is rather distracting. Um, a lot of gunplay that takes place in daytime. So it takes away from what, what could have been there. What is, uh, you know, we could have had more of a real and dangerous feeling overall as as Wu Jing uh, fights back and uh, innocents are killed and uh, all of that. Uh, so, you know, it's decent enough as as this oral and visual package. Um, it's captured decently even when employing sort of a sh- shaky camera in certain close quarters uh, uh, altercations and all of that. For instance, the department store takedown is a nice showcase for how quick Wu Jing sort of leaps into action and does within action as he disarms uh, and uh, takes out various characters. But it's not cranked or choppy or anything it seems uh very much him and that is rather cool it, it gives off a cool expression uh and that is also technically able to capture this uh, action i mean it has elements of intense cutting but enough flow is maintained it's not headache inducing we know where we are and as i say it does not shy away from brutality and an innocence executed but um, this is not the kind of movie that frames it all in a way, way that's felt or anything. It works for the setup. We know the stakes. Uh, but it is a genre piece. And the fireworks it intends to be. That's what we notice. And the tragedy of it all. Is not necessarily what we notice. And, but I don't think Wu Jing was aiming for any depth here. So that's perfectly fine. But CG Blood is running a bit more rampant. Especially when they bring in bigger firepower. 
damn people just body parts fly and heads blow up <laughs> things like that at least i remember it that way but there are bigger squib effects because of the firepower and that looks just uh, um, you know i'm glad the movie was entertaining pretty much elsewhere because that didn't look good and it's just an indication i guess of um modern filmmaking but um when it looks the way it does uh, i i am taken out of it um, to a degree and even um pyrotechnics uh, and a lot of the majority of the explosions uh, are partly um cg as well and it looks a bit um you know it's it's a diversion i think um that uh, and Rory is uh, distracting i think uh, when even that looks a little bit fake and i'm not saying you have to exp- make everything explode for my sake but fake is still fake and if you're taken out of a, a few moments then that's n- not necessarily good but there are cool concepts when employing some effects on all of that he's uh Wu Jing uh, is almost hit with a rocket but pu- pulls up this um uh, bed and uh, uh there's no mattress on the bed but the rocket gets caught in the springs and what have you and of course all of that is cut together in an artificial way but it's still it's a cool concept so when you can combine it with that it works but and also when uh, he snaps into physicality like the bus explosion that works better too but uh, there is an element of fakery here that uh, was a little bit too a little bit too dominant for for my taste but again i come back to the fact that it's kind of a hot, delightful sort of um, 80s and action 80s and 90s actioner even in the plotting because uh, wujing has to find the origin of a bullet that he carries around his neck it's a special bullet that someone shot and he has to find the origin of it and who who killed my so-and-so and all of that it's like a trailer moment you know i've seen that bullet before i know where that person is dum 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 you know you've got a hans zimmer score kicking in in those moments even the score in this movie is very hans zimmer a la you know the rock and uh, i think i think zimmer did the rock but uh, something the crimson tide and stuff like that that made me smile because it's so so kind of delightfully into you know making movies uh in this decade that we also saw and were delighted by in the prior decades uh you know for instance they they talk about we're not uh, allowed to enter that war zone only one man can do it and it's a suicide mission and then Wu Jing as a PLA soldier reports for duty sir and it's so ludicrously big and nationalistic that it's almost tongue-in-cheek and I can't believe for a second that higher-ups uh, looking at uh, that oh I have a dedication of that soldier when they're watching the movie that's so great for our country i mean you can't take that seriously politically when it's so bombastic right it's uh it's for the movie it's uh, done in fun for the movie it's not a spoof or anything but it's it, it gets the tone right i think yeah which is why it made me smile it also has a stock villain in the movie uh frank Coelho is this um confident uh good looking villain a couple of uh, one-liners here and there and firepower up the ass but uh so that adds to a good time and uh it's so it's kind of uh, confirms that it is possible to have a good time with what to us or at least me feels like an 80s and 90s type of bombastic movie is as is the term i'm using and maybe part of the success of world warrior 2 was due to the mainland having not been exposed to a lot of this action and execution you know answers on a postcard uh, because i'm not too sure if that was one reason for the box office success uh, some highlights Wu Jing just drives a jeep through a wall into a hostage situation perfectly calculated because uh, 
he just sort of knows there would be no innocence in the way, and that's good ludicrous. Uh, and then he snaps into this capable gunplay hero, which, um, you know, I, I told you that he's moving fast. Uh, he's, uh, he has these, these moments of moving in a swift way through scenes. And that adds the portrayal of the gunplay and even the fight action in the small bursts of fight action we do get. Uh, uh, for instance, versus the big guy, um, I have his name later in the view, review, uh, the Russian guy. Wu Jing just needs to punch and kick and he can't do any graceful kung fu and that's how you set up that concept. And that's very, very good. And the car chase through the shantytown feels uh, physical and tight as it should uh, in quite a decent way. There's some well-chosen overhead shots uh, to show the scope of it all by Hong Kong cinematographer Peter Noor. And uh, by the way, he's also a director uh, and actor. He's in Infernal Affairs 2, plays one of the triad bosses. Um, and he is in Viva Erotica. He plays the editor, a character in Viva Erotica. And he's also the director of Erotic Ghost Story 2, quite, quite an artistic category free movie. So I'm, I'm glad that Peter got to show his uh, stuff here. So there's some well-chosen overhead shots during that chase, which is a pretty one of the highlights for me, actually. That the actors, are, when driving, are driving on green screen is a little bit distracting. But still, it's an exciting thing. And even though a chase can be basic and have no original ideas as such, um, you have to get... Uh, you know, the excitement level right and uh, the flow and the pulse and making it decently physical and you have to get that balance right and I think uh, I think that works and he's driven so expertly through that scene and avoided every hazard but after the end of the chase scene he then foolishly crashes the car <laughs> which is so ironic that I did it and then crash done and done with so to say even the um, La Manla virus exposition is sort of well handled. It's never easy. And they give that to Selena Jade's uh, doctor character that she has to tell tell the audience and Wu Jing what we're dealing with here in terms of um, virus. But that is confidence. G- getting that familiarity executed, I think, is a sign of confidence. And I really like that. And even that is a ticking clock uh, exposition dump inserted here you know he gets that done and uh, you know get it gets it done with and then gets the grade of well that was that wasn't too bad the movie did not stop and the fact that it's also set abroad isn't um, terribly forced either i mean it goes for scenery shots and we see lions and when they're driving through through the plains there's sort of a tribal score to it all and uh, and that is sort of manipulative in a way because uh, they're gonna make us go ooh. but then he sort of when i tell you this i sort of have it a smile on my face because it it is okay even though it's clawing and in a way too there's some latter sequences of sentimentality where the um, people in a factory i believe they are trying to divide africans and the chinese but some of the chinese who's watching over this, i.e. Wu Jing. He thinks in a more humane way because the strings on the soundtrack say so. And I, I, I like that. I had fun with that. And that means the hero holds a speech. And that means after the cheer, uh, after the speech, they will cheer. I don't mind it. I don't mind it. It's not easy to get this done in 2017 without feeling so sort of retro and almost grindhouse <laughs> way where we're throwing back to another decade, no? He sort of means what he's doing. He's a smart enough filmmaker to get this done. It's uh, not terribly anxious to just have 
wall-to-wall action because we are let off the hook for a bit for some good times and celebration and then Frankie Grillo's the troops move in, uh, we got that beat of the story, and then we're off again, confidently. And those tools uh, of um, you know padding the movie, not padding, but uh, placing quite a few action sequences in the movie, some downtime, and they're quite extensive when they are present, that makes the two hours go by quite fast. Um, and, and even though we get some fake pyrotechnics, pyrotechnics again, I do... Like that we have uh, automatic machine gun fire from drones, which is a fun concept. And uh, Wu Jing still doesn't go through doors when trying to save uh, people. No, he goes through a window even when a woman and a kid is at gunpoint. Uh, it just, you know, it looks better. looks more heroic. And uh, within all this uh, scenario, we get a knife fight with Wu Jing versus um, the Russian character played by Oleg Prudius. I'm sorry if I'm mispronouncing that name. And that's the, the big Russian guy. Russian guy. Feels very tightly as shot and edited, but it's deceptively well done, actually. It's, there's a fluidity despite from shot to shot. Um, and that makes that one of the better fight sequences before. It's Wu Jing versus um, Frank uh, Grillo at the end. And then all of that g- gets us into brotherhoods being formed, alliances being formed, and uh, it's fun, bombastic familiarity. And even international audiences, think, I think, understood this, this intent and mixture. So we were not laughing at the movie, or, and even when it's a little bit laughable, we laugh with it, because uh, this is fun. In a way, if, if you break it down, though, when, when, when a mood changes to serious, and when you have the score change into series as well. It's kind of manipulative where you think this isn't confidence, but it's still within that genre I've been hopping on about. Uh, it works. Uh, you, you know, you, that balance of... Uh, you can just imagine this being a Brockheimer movie of 20 years ago, and that'll be more than fine. There's a couple of uh, well-placed and audience-friendly middle fingers, literally. So Wu Jing has a sense of humor and uh, gets that through very well. Some corny stuff here that continues to work, like characters sing Amazing Grace because they um, they think they're close to defeat. But I'll be damned if he essentially he gets away with it. Um, because he's making an entertaining movie. Nothing of this really gets us to engage in the characters as such. Uh, not even in the bloody heroics of it all. But we've bought into the two-hour genre movie. When you don't get that clear, your work can be tedious. But when you have a belief in the basic genre product uh, that's going to go boom a lot. When you have a belief in that, then you can provide audience-friendly entertainment of this kind even in 2017. And as for some final remarks, uh, Frank Grillo, I think, responds well to the choreography with uh, Wu Jing. Uh, so, fair amount of focus on punching. And uh, yes, it is pretty tight as shot and edited, but it, the, the flow is good, the fluidity is pretty good. And for the first time in the movie, we get uh, a ferociousness present uh, within a scene because it's now about revenge. And he gets that through expect, uh, unexpectedly well, uh, actually. And um, now brutality finally works for the movie for one key moment during this uh, during this scene. Uh, so um, again, do I see the obvious patriotism of the movie? Of course, but uh, when it's done in an, in in an entertaining way and not about you know corruption and uh, manipulation that way, I don't see anything wrong with this. It doesn't seem disturbingly flag waving in style or anything, but. 
that's open for debate. When all is said and done, this is a fun one. Do I look forward to a part 3? I'll give it a watch. But Wolf Warrior 2 didn't stay, stay, stick with me to the point where it wasn't uh, mind-blowing as such. But I'm happy to see a part 3 if they can... Uh, you know, recharge and uh, deliver some some fun again, some new concepts or what have you. So, um, so why not? But um, don't think of this as a five, six, seven long series now because you've made money. I think that's thinking too far ahead. But make a part three. Hopefully, uh, that will further Wu Jing as a filmmaker too, and maybe he will get some further internationally recognized cast in the third movie because I think he used Frank Grillo quite uh, well, if I'm being honest. So. We'll see. But in the meantime, as for availability of Wolf Warrior 2, it is available now on DVD from Cinesia in the UK. There's also limited and regular edition Blu-rays and uh, also a digital option for purchase or rental. And I want to thank again Mike at Warrior Agency and Cinesia for setting up the show with the screener of Wolf Warrior 2. So that is it. I need a drink of water having talked for... So long by myself, but uh, thank you very much for listening. I hope you liked this review of Wolf Warrior 2. And uh, I am just going to say that for all your Podcast on Fire network needs, go to podcastonfire.com and let us know what you thought of the show. And uh, if you were a first-time listener, thank you very, very much. Hope you enjoyed. We have a huge catalog of prior shows on Hong Kong cinema and so forth. So just follow the handy buttons at the right-hand side of the website to pick your show and let us know on social media and what have you what you thought and uh, don't be shy and uh, we can always use some more voices on uh, on uh, on movies and uh, more opinions on movies uh, so uh, join us uh, for discussion over on facebook for instance because we are a friendly bunch but in the meantime this has been can be sitting here in a port cave on a saturday hope you enjoyed thank you very much for your support and we'll see you next time